Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, all throughout this wonderful Easter season, we'll be reading at Mass from the Acts of the Apostles. St. Luke's great description of the adventures, challenges, and achievements of the early Christian community. You know, I've often said to people who are just getting back into the Bible, maybe begin with the Acts of the Apostles, because it's a very rich book, and it's uh, full of adventure and interesting personalities. But we're going to read it now very, um, uh, not really systematically, but we're going to read from it during this uh, Easter season. The purpose of the book is to show what apostles, that means people sent by the risen Jesus, were doing. Now, that's the agenda. Well, that applies to every one of us. We've all been sent by the Lord Jesus, so we should pay attention. What's this book telling us about what apostles do? Well, the passage for today is from the second chapter of Luke's work, and we hear this pithy account. Listen. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Okay, there it is. That's what the apostles devoted themselves to. That's what the followers of Jesus were about. Now, I've written before, in fact, I think I preached recently on this. Pope Benedict, Joseph Ratzinger's famous characterization of the three basic tasks of the church. And I must say, they're on clear evidence right here from the beginning. So Papa Ratzinger said the church across the ages does three essential things. It worships God, it evangelizes, and it serves the poor. Those are the acts of the apostles, if you want. That's what we are about. Now, in light of that, look again at the description in our reading for today. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Now, what is that? That is evangelization. They carried on what those in Jesus' immediate company had taught them, the teaching of the apostles. Next, they were devoted to the communal life. What is that? But caring for the poor in the broad sense of that term, the poor, all those who were in need in whatever way. They knew, these followers of Jesus, from the beginning, that the Christian life is never an individualistic affair. It's never simply about the individual in relation to the Lord. It has to do with their mutual belonging, with their willingness to care for each other. And then finally we hear, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. What's that? But the worship of God, especially as it's expressed in the source and summit of the Christian life, namely the Eucharist. So there they are. 
the church does three things. It worships God, it evangelizes, and it cares for the poor from day one until today. That's what apostles do. Okay, so what I want to do in the rest of this short homily is to look a bit more carefully at these three basic moves, knowing that if we're living in accord with them, we're imitating the apostles. In the measure that we're not, we're not. Okay, so first, the teaching of the apostles. Now, I've been saying this, friends, as you know, for years. Christianity is not a philosophy or a psychology or a humanist ethical program. It might have elements of those three things in it, but that's not what it is primarily. Primarily, Christianity is a relationship to a very particular person, namely Jesus the Christ. Jesus gathered around him a tight group of followers whom he specially taught and formed according to his mind. And then he sent them out to preach and to teach. Apostelene, our word apostle comes from that. Apostelene in Greek just means to send. We're called in the creed, aren't we, an apostolic church. We say the church is one holy Catholic and apostolic. Well, that's exactly what it means. It means we are grounded not in ourselves or in our own spiritual reflections or in what the culture is teaching everyone to think. We are grounded, finally, in these 12 whom Jesus taught and formed according to his mind. I don't know about you, and maybe this is true since uh, I became a bishop, and you know, one of the great descriptions of the bishop is successor to the apostles. And I don't think of that juridically, primarily. I think of it—I have this image in my mind of Jesus, and maybe there's like a campfire, and then around him are these 12 followers who know him. They, they see him. They watch him. They've listened to him. He's explained things to them. They've learned his mind the way a young apprentice learns the mind and skill of the artist. Well, extrapolate from that. That's all of Christianity. We are those people who have sat, as it were, around the campfire with Jesus, learning his mind, watching him at close quarters. When the church is faithful to the teaching of these first apostles, when the church imitates these first followers, she flourishes. When she turns from this teaching, ignores it, or pretends it's not essential to her life, she languishes. And I can make the argument, we need a whole semester chorus, but look at church history, and you'll see it on clear display. When the church stops being apostolic, it's when it goes into some kind of decline or corruption. So here's the question, apostles. How many of us are confidently teaching and preaching what the apostles taught and preached? Now, I'm going to ask this. This is the world I came of age in, the world of the academy and scholarship. So I'm going to ask it of scholars and preachers and catechists and parents and teachers— Are we devoted 
to the teaching of the apostles? Are we grounded clearly in that little band of 12 that once sat around the campfire with Jesus and knowing his mind and heart, knowing him personally? That's when we're going to flourish as an apostolic church. When we allow truisms from the culture or standard views of our time or common frameworks of understanding to dominate our thinking and our discourse, we are no longer sharing the teaching of the apostles. So there's a challenge, I think, to all of us, especially those of us involved in, in teaching and preaching. we got to continue this tradition. Okay? Here's the second thing now that the church has done from the beginning. The dedication to the communal life. Now, I'll confess to you, that's kind of a wimpy translation, I think, because uh, in English, communal life is kind of a bland uh, term. The Greek behind it is a lovely word used a lot in the New Testament. The word is koinonia. Koinonia. Whenever St. Paul speaks of the church as a body, he's got this idea in mind. We are on for each other. Now listen, because we are implicated in one another. We're not members of an organization. We're cells in an organism. We are in each other because Jesus' spirit is in each one of us, and he's the head of, of this mystical body. See, and everybody, this is precisely why we love each other. This is why we can never say in regard to another member of the mystical body, well, sorry, that's your problem, not mine. That's just repugnant to the logic of koinonia. And this is why Christians from the beginning have cared for their sick and elderly, have refused to expose infants on the hillside, which was a very common practice in the ancient world, if a child was deemed, for whatever reason, unfit for life. Well, Christians wouldn't do it. And I'll be blunt, though this probably disturbs us a bit, the Acts of the Apostles gets pretty specific about their dedication to the koinonia. Listen. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions and divide them all according to each one's need. Well, I'm not going to get here into debates about uh, socialism and capitalism and Catholic teaching. That's a big, complicated topic. But I'll say this, everybody. At the very least, a passage like that should give us pause. These first Christians did live this pretty radically communal life, and they put their money literally where their mouth was. They literally put all their goods at the feet of the apostles, and then they were distributed to each according to need. Now, again, I'm not going to say anything about, about you know, organizing society. That's a big a complicated question. But, you know, I wonder, do we Christians in our communities, let's say at the parish level, do we ever think this way? That, you know, I've got an obligation if I'm a fairly wealthy person. Well, yeah, I mean, to a degree anyway, to put my wealth at the service of a church. Not grudgingly, giving a little bit here and there. 
but really saying, yeah, I'm, I'm on to take care of some people in this community who really have needs. Pope Leo XIII, the founder of the modern Catholic social teaching tradition, said that private ownership is valid, and the church has always taught that. But yet the Pope said, the use of private property must always be for the common good. He also said, once the demands of necessity and propriety have been met in your life, everything else you own belongs to the poor. Now, I submit to you, fellow Catholics, uh, that's pretty challenging stuff. If we take that seriously, once the demands of necessity, so I, you know, my needs are taken care of, and even propriety, so I'm living a, you know, a decent life. But after that, everything else you own belongs to the poor because the use of private property is communal, not particular. Okay, okay. The apostles, the early Christians were dedicated to the teaching of the apostles, that's evangelization, and to the koinonia, and to the common life. Okay, last one. We finally come to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Now, we're talking here, obviously, even at this very early stage, about the Eucharistic liturgy. From the beginning, the church has done what Jesus told them to do. Do this in memory of me. All the other prayers that we pray, by the way, come from and return to this primordial prayer, don't they? The liturgy, the Eucharist, as the source and summit of the Christian life. All of our prayer comes from and returns to the breaking of the bread. All right, followers of Jesus, how are we doing with this demand? Be blunt with you, 70% roughly of our Catholic brothers and sisters in this country stay away from Mass on a regular basis. We just read this, and I've been talking about it a lot, the Pew Forum study that said 70% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Secularism, as we know, continues its advance, especially among the young. So how are we doing with the breaking of the bread? Vatican II wanted a revival of the Mass, not, not a falling away from the Mass. So I, I submit to you that's as much a challenge as the koinonia challenge, as much a challenge as the, as the teaching of, of the apostles. Just one last thing. Notice, everybody, how this passage ends. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What draws people to the church from the beginning to now? Simple answer, those three great things. Do we worship God? Do we serve the poor? Do we evangelize? We do those three things, trust me, the Lord's going to add numbers to the church. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.